Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Everybody just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning, yes? Yeah. Weather like today, how can you not just wake up and be ready for the day, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Well, it's great to see you today. It's great uh, uh, to, to be at, in church with you. Uh, and uh, man, you know one of the things that I love about coming together as a church is the Bible says we're two or more gathered together in Jesus' name. There he is. And regardless what's happened last week, regardless what's happening in the weather today, and regardless what you're facing this next week, you know, as we just sang a few minutes ago, we can declare in our own lives that God is still on the throne. It is going to be well, uh, and that, uh, that he is, he's in control. And, um, and I think sometimes even when we come into church like that, it's easy to forget because we sing these songs and we just kind of go, you know, like really like that old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, which is where that last uh, chorus came from that we just sang. But you have to understand the individual who wrote that song resided in Chicago as an immigrant uh, and lost his family on his way from Europe to America, all his wife and all of his children. And as he was going back across the Atlantic Ocean, at the spot where his children died and his wife died and everything he had in his family died, he began to write those words. It is well with my soul. So regardless what you're facing today, regardless where you are on the continuum of happiness or complete depravity, we can all whisper and echo those words as a declaration of what God says over us that it is well. And when we come together as a church, I believe this, nothing works like the, nothing works like the church works. And when we come together as a church of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit is here to help us to overcome any situation and circumstance that we may be facing. So that was a free sermon. That's not my notes. I've got a totally different deal. But I just love to hear you sing. I love to be together. I love to come on a weekend service and just get to hang out and get to be with the people of God. And I think that's why it's so important that, you know, the book of Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together and do it even so much more as you see the return of Jesus Christ approaching. So love you today. Great to be with you today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to get there in a minute. Before I get that, I'm going to be in the book of Proverbs. So if you're one of those people that want to kind of like read along, because I've got several different scriptures today, as I'm kind of talking on this subject of margin as it applies to your finances. So we're going to talk about money today. So everybody loves that, right? We love making it. We, don't, we like spending it. We don't really like to talk about it, especially at church. Uh, you know, and so uh, especially people go, see, I told you, I told you, I go to church for the first time in a long time, and that's what the pastor, he wants my money. I keep telling you that. So, yeah, I do. I really do. So, um, no, I'm just teasing. This has nothing to do with the special offering. This has to do with how you manage your finances, what you do with the resources that you have. This is really all today about you. And um, 
And the deal is, is everybody in this room falls basically on one or two sides of this continuum of this conversation. Either you're up to your yin-yang, which is a spiritual term, in debt, <laughs> or you are doing really, really well, and debt is not an issue for you, but your issue is the savings. Not that you don't have it, it's that it occupies all that you think about, or all that you do when it comes to money. And so you can rationalize this conversation away very easily. You can dismiss me very easily. The, here's, the, here's the news. At the end of this message, you're going to get in your car and you're going to go back to wherever you live and whatever you do. I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to go home today. And I'm going to live my life and you're going to live your life. And if you dismiss it, that's between you and the Lord. That's not my responsibility, right? They, your finances are not my business. My business is to preach and teach the full counsel of God's word. So if God speaks about a subject, if the Bible speaks about a subject, as a pastor, I, it's part of my responsibility unto God that I address those issues in a godly manner. And so I, I hope for your sake uh, that you will do this. I can tell you in my own life, these are the principles that I live by, uh, and I found them to be true. Uh, I have been on both sides of those continuums of where I was up to my neck in debt and didn't really pay attention on how I got there and had to figure some things out in a hard way. And then I have also been in a place where uh, through some great investments and some great things where God's blessed and done some things to where you, 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 you have to be on the other side going, hey, I need to make sure that the generosity of my soul is intact and moving ahead so that greed and those other things don't come in and choke that out. So that's what I want to talk to you about. So, and here's the reason why. Here's a statement I'm going to give you. There's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and our stuff. That's what the Bible says. There's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and our stuff. The Bible, of the parables that Jesus spoke, 16 of the 38 parables. So parables are stories with meaning. 16 of the 38 parables deal with stuff. Stuff and money, so the acquisition of things, property, places, things, and money is spoken about five times more in Scripture than the subject of prayer. 2,000 verses in Scripture are given to this subject matter of money and stuff and what you do with it. And stuff and money is discussed more than heaven or hell. So when you stop and think about it, this issue of stuff... And money is deeply spiritual. It's intrinsically connected to the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to the life and the ministry of Jesus in the entire canon of Scripture, from Genesis all the way to the maps at the back of the Bible. It's all connected. So why would most pastors not speak about this subject? Because most people don't want to hear about it. Because most pastors are scared that people are going to get up and walk out of the church because they're, 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 this is, or they've allowed the world to kind of shape that conversation, which again is a very dangerous place when you, when you elevate experience over God's word. I just go, what does the book say? Not what do I think, not what do you think, but what does the book say? So that's, what I, that's why I'm dealing with this today. Because the reality is, is that the Bible talks a lot about this because the truth of the matter is where you spend your money and how you spend your money is more indicative of your spiritual maturity or the lack thereof than about any other barometer that we have of an empirical nature. I can look at your phone, and I can tell where you spend time. I can look at your daytimer, your, your calendar, your planner. I can look and see where you spend your time. 
I, I can log certain things about mileage in your car and where you go and the frequency, and that tells me where you spend your time. I can look at your Google searches or your Bing searches or whatever searches it, whatever search engine you use online and where you spend your time. But your pocketbook tells me or anybody else more about you and what you really value than anything else. Because talk is cheap. People talk all day long about a lot of things, but the reality is, is where I invest my money, where I spend my money, where I give my money, and to whom I give it to, MasterCard, Visa, American Express, wh whoever I give my money to, the bank, to an investment broker, to real estate, uh, to a savings and loan, uh, to, 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 to myself, wherever I spend or invest my money, to the church, to a missionary, to... Wherever I spend or invest my money tells more about me than anything else. That's what the Bible says, and I'm going to show you this in Scripture. So I'm going to talk about the, this conversation on margin as it, as it applies to our finances, to our resources. First about those of you that are finding yourself in debt, which is most people. Today in America, for every dollar and 22, we, we spend a dollar 22 for every dollar we make. So for every dollar that we make, on average in America, we spend more money than we bring in. 24% of young families' uh, income is spent on debt and debt reduction. 90% of Americans live in debt. 90%. The average family's credit card debt is $12,000. The average person gets 50 credit card offers annually, one a week. And the average person has 7.6 credit cards. I don't know about the .6, but you get the idea. You have more credit cards, right? So what does God's word say about debt? This is just what it says. You wrestle with it. You figure it out. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. That the rich will rule over the poor and that the borrower is servant to the lender. Which means if you find yourself up here yin-yang in debt, you no longer have freedom and control over your money. You have given that to a, uh, to, to a debt service in which you owe money to. Proverbs 13, 7. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Doesn't that propel most of why we swipe our way to happiness? I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm trying to keep up appearances. This is it. When if you really indeed put what you make, your annual salary, into a, uh, just like an online calculator of, of worldwide wealth, you'll find that in America, even the most meager of incomes will find themselves within the top 10 to 15% of the richest people in the world. The idea is, is that we don't really understand life outside of Two cars, you know, a mortgage and an SUV, to quote the old country song. We, we, we don't know life beyond that. And so we have to have this, and we have to have, and we have to have. And Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Doesn't have the ability to appropriate their finances, their resources, where they know that they need to be. Jesus says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? And Proverbs 21.5 says that the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Keep that up there for just a second, guys. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. So people that have thought and processed and planned and counted the cost, they're not reacting financially. They're acting. There's going to be profit that's involved. Overall, there's going to be a net profit. But people that act in haste, they react impulsively. They swipe their way to happiness. They got to have it now and now and now leads to poverty. 
Most of the time you find people in an impoverished situation, you find people that are reacting all the time financially. It's like their pockets have holes in them. They, they, they just, because they constantly react, they're never thinking about tomorrow. It's all about today. It's all about now. It's all driven by what they want, their desire, their need right there. And they spend their money on things that are foolish. And you find someone who has finances and resources, you'll find someone who's very intentional, very non-reactive, very calculated on how they, how they deal with their finances. Thanks, guys. So if you find yourself drowning in debt today, I want to give you a couple of just really practical steps. That's what today's going to be about. Biblical, yes. Challenging, hopefully. Practical, absolutely. First of all, if you're drowning in debt, you need to define reality. Define reality. Most people, if you ask them if you're, they're in debt, they'll say, yes, how much? They'll give you a ballpark figure. I, I'm a numbers guy. And I, I, I'm not a math guy, but I'm a numbers guy. And, and, uh, and so I like to know. And so when I ask people numbers, if they give me round numbers, I don't ever buy that. I don't care whether it's how much money you make in a year. Not that I go ask people that. But, or if it's, uh, if it's um, how much indebtedness that you have or what did this cost. Or, or, you know, you work for a company, how much did that cost? Or, you know, how many people are in a church in a weekend service? Or, I mean, I can tell you on any given weekend how many kids in a specific service or in the moose room in the early childhood room. And the percentage of the, ki- of, the, of, the, of the number of children in that room as appropriated with the space and what the max capacity is. I can do that on any, on any, you give me any particular, I can tell you that based upon the information that we have. Why? Because numbers are important. Numbers tell a story. Numbers represent people. And so anytime we talk about generality, sometimes we typically don't know what we're talking about. When we talk about specifics, when you have someone that can tell you, hey, I, I owe $8,345.35, that person knows their finances. Most of the time, a person knows their finances at that level, they're not in debt to that level. Why? Because they understand and they're managing it. Most of the time, people that find themselves up to their yin-yang in debt, they deal in generalities, and they don't really know because they really don't want to know. So if you want to truly get out of debt and you want to live debt-free and you want to have margin when it comes to your finances, go home, sit down, take out a piece of paper and a pen. I know that's really archaic. It's like, it's like writing hieroglyphics on, on a cave wall, right? It's just really old-fashioned. But begin to list out every single bill that you owe. Every credit card, every student loan, your mortgage, uh, your, your car payment, uh, everything that you owe, everything to the penny. If you have borrowed money in that essence with, with interest, which most, most of the time that's the case, then what's the interest rate in which you've got to pay that off then? But make a list. Define reality. What is reality? The second thing is, is make a plan. Make a plan. After you've looked and you go, hey, we're $12,345.65 in debt. How am I going to deal with this? First of all, start today. These are just some steps. Start today. Don't start tomorrow. The Bible says very clearly, don't put off what tomorrow, what you have the ability to do today. It's raining outside. It's a great day to do this. Start today. Sit down. Make the list. Start today. List what you own as well as what you owe. What do you own? What do you really own? It gets to be a scary conversation. And you may find out that your net worth, which is what you owe minus what you own, uh, the, the, the net result of that is actually you owe more than what you own, which is a kind of a scary place to be sometimes. And if you're in your 20s starting out, it's probably reality, um, unfortunately, in the world in which we live in. But you find yourself in that place. 
Why do you do that? Because you need to know reality. You need to know what really you own and what you owe. Say no to new debt. Take every credit card you have and cut it up. Cut it up. Cut the cable. Call them today. Cut the cable. Cut the Netflix. It's seven bucks. Cut the Netflix. It's, it's, a, it's a debt load that you have. It, it, it equates into money. Uh, what, what you have a plan for this or for that or whatever, but we have this trip planned. Cut it. Start it. Done. Don't. Done. That's it. Over. Uh, zip, uh, right? We don't like these conversations. Some of you are already beginning to break it out in a sweat like, oh, dear Lord. And Man, I wish you would have taken an offering. I could have added more debt to my wet debt load, but I wouldn't have to think about this. But stop it. Just stop. We ra- you can rationalize anything. You can rationalize anything you want to do. That's not the problem. You're smart people. The problem is quit tricking yourself. Quit fooling yourself. Quit dealing with this yourself. And, and I would encourage you, if you're really serious about this, Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University, we do a class here. Um, and if you can go by the Resource Center, they can get you connected with, with that class where every week, we're because we're, we're trying to help people to live debt-free, to have margin in the area of their finances. Because some of you were just raised where you just nobody taught you how to manage finances. Most people are that way. And you just kind of, and, and it's scary. And, um, uh, but it's a deal. And so cut all of out the new debt, no new debt, no, no adding. We're not spending anything we don't have to spend. We're going to put ourselves basically on a budget in essence, and we're going to attack that. And then the third thing is, the last thing is to attack the debt. Go at it with a vengeance. Kill it. I mean, it's, it's no holds barred. And a way to do that would be, as you listed all of your monthly bills, take your, take the, pay the minimum monthly on every single bill that you have. This is very practical, but it's, it works. And take the bill with the smallest amount that you owe. So I owe four thousand here, and twenty-five hundred dollars here, and three thousand here. I owe three fifty here, five hundred there. The one that's the three fifty, take that bill, put all the excess money that you have. I don't care if it's twenty-five bucks extra in a month, and attack that. Pay the minimum on everything, except for that smallest bill that you owe, the smallest debt that you have, and attack it. Boom, it's gone. Go to the next one. And what you'll find yourself is you continue to go up that list to where you finally attack. So you've been paying minimum monthlies, but you have more and more and more monthly to be able to pay. It makes a bigger dent and a bigger ding against what it is because now you're able to take all of these other bills, all these other payments, all the other amounts that you've been paying. You're able to put all those and collate all those together to attack the biggest one that you have. And finally, you're out of debt. And you go, hey, that really sounds wonderful and awesome and blah, 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 blah. I'm just telling you. Tammy and I were mid-20s, college graduates, working. She was working at a doctor's office and uh, admin and all of that kind of a deal. I was working as a youth pastor at a church. We weren't making a lot of money, but we were making enough money to be able to live and live well. And, and we started off, and we, we really kind of we owned our cars, and we owned everything, and we were really pretty good about that. And then we bought a, a, a two-year-old Oldsmobile. Remember those? And it was an Oldsmobile Achieva. It was $10,000, uh, $10,800 is what it cost. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and then it, the monthly payment was $222, and I think like 15 cents is what the, I don't remember it. And so the monthly payment, and so we got this Oldsmobile Achieva, that's really what we had. But then we started getting credit card offers. 
because, you know, whatever. And so then all of a sudden we start getting these credit cards. And then, and then it's just like, well, they're convenient, so let's just, man, and then let's go out. And so we're eating here and eating there, and then I'm playing golf here and playing there, and then we need to buy this, and you can rationalize anything that you need. And, and so I need a new suit, and you need a new dress, and, and we need this, and then we got to go on vacation here, and, hey, we're going over here, and let's just get the gas on this, and let's just do this, and let's just get the points, and blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden we sat down one day and realized we had $15,000 worth of credit card debt. It's a lot of money when we weren't making a ton. And uh, so I did what any mid-20-year-old young married in debt would do. I called my dad. <laughs> I knew not to call my father-in-law because when I'd asked to be married to Tammy, I got a 45-minute lecture on, if you ever find yourself in financial trouble, do not call me. And I looked at my mother-in-law, and she was like, that's right. And Tammy went, and that's the way it was for 45 minutes. If you made a poor financial decision... I'm not bailing you out. My mother-in-law said, that's right. And Timmy would go, you know, if you ever need, if you're drowning and you're about to die, don't call me. You know, my mother-in-law, yeah, that's right. And Timmy's like, oh. So, I mean, it was pretty much, you kids want to go get married? That's great. You're done. You're on your own. We are canceling her off of the, the family plan. Everything's done. Have a nice life. We hope you survive and give us grandkids. We'll come see you. And that's pretty much what it was. So I didn't call my father-in-law. But I called my dad, and I said, hey, Pop, say, what's going on? And, you know, you have that, that as a parent now, I hear it in my kid's voice. I know they're buttering me up, especially my youngest. She's like a Philadelphia lawyer. She's going to put everything out, lay all the case out, and then she's going to come in for the clothes and try to land the plane on this. So that's what I was doing with my old man. I was laying this out, you know, Dad, this and this. I'm learning, and I'm growing, and, I, you know, we had to do this, but this came up, and this happened, and I got this and got that. And all of a sudden, Dad, and he goes, how much money do you need? Well, I don't really need money. Yeah, you're calling me for money, right? Uh, yeah, well, in essence, but I'm really, I want some advice, but with the money, and, right? And so, anyhow, so we had this full-blown conversation. Long story short, he just goes, here's the bottom line. You got yourself into this mess, and you got to figure out how to get yourself out. Welcome to being an adult. Now, he could have paid, and I could have owed him. That was my plan. But he knew, owing oh, him, well, there's always going to be these reasons. There's always going to be these excuses. There's always going to be all of this. And then that dynamic of that relationship changes. Because what happens? Remember what Proverbs says? That the borrower is subject to the lender. Be careful when you loan people money. Because it changes the relationship. So... I got off the phone, and I said, Tammy, we're going to have to figure this out. So what I just told you is the exact same pattern in which we walk through. Cut every credit card up. Cut every bill up. I mean, it, it, we, we began to attack it. We didn't spend this. We didn't vacation. We didn't, we didn't eat out. We, we, I mean, it was budget central. We didn't buy clothes. We didn't do anything. Why? Because it wasn't in the budget. This is what we're going to live by. Because we're going to kill this because this is not going to destroy us. It's not, we're going to have margin in our lives. We're not going to do this. And so we began to make that decision. And God helped us. And what's amazing is when you begin to do things God's way, he begins to bless. That's, that's, the, that's the X factor that you can't put on this. God begins to bless. God begins to open doors. God begins to to bring revenue and income in because now you're able to properly steward. God will never give you what you don't have the ability to handle. You want God to bless your life? Then show that you have the ability to handle it. That's the reason why Jesus says in the Gospels that, that, that you, we, you take little and you begin to ma manage little well and then God begins to increase what you have the ability to do. You, you want to have increase in your life? Then begin to manage what you have today. 
So that's how you began to show that. And really, in Scripture, it, it's, this ultimately is about trusting God. It's really about how we trust God. So with our finances, the first 10%, we honor God. It's called the tithe. This is how he wrote it. I didn't write it. This is what he says. But I'm telling you, I practice this and have practiced this my whole life. This is why I've raised my kids. That first 10% belongs to the Lord. Why? Because he is one that gives me life. He's the one that opens doors. He's the one that blesses. And I believe that his blessing on the 90% is greater than my ability to manage the 100%. And anybody who says, no, I have a better ability than God, who made the who's the creator of the heavens and the earth, because that's, and this is what we're saying when we don't tithe, is that I have the ability to manage that better than God does. Just take a pair of scissors and begin to cut out all those scriptures. If I did that today on this platform, there would be people that would physically get up and leave this room. There would be people that would leave the church. There would be people that would write me scathing letters and emails. Why? Because I'm physically doing what you do every week. It's a choice. I didn't write the book. And the, but I, here's what I know. If you don't tithe on a $10 allowance, you'll never tithe on a $100,000 salary. If I don't give a buck on $10, I'll never give $10,000 on $100,000. It's just the way it works. So I began to honor God with that. Secondly, I, I pay myself. I honor myself with the next 10%. This is something that we don't do, but the Bible teaches that you should have savings. You should be smart. Don't be stupid. God gave us a brain, and he gave us his word. But, but you honor yourself by savings. So the next 10% of everything that you own, put it in savings. Again, this is what I've taught my kids. And whether they live it or not, that's, that's between them and the Lord. But, but the reality is this is it. Because if you will pay yourself 10% of everything that you make from the time that you're sacking groceries at a local grocery store like I did in high school, or, or by the time that you're, you're a college graduate and you've got a, a, a job that's paying the bills, if you do that, you'll never have to go and need money from someone else. You'll be able to finance your way. And why is that important? Because the reality is, then you are not subject to the lender. You're not under the lender. You're not under. And somebody goes, well, well what about a house? I, I get that. It's an appreciable asset. But we've all seen in the last decade how appreciable assets can also lose value. So don't just sit there and go, well, I can afford it. I can afford it. I can afford it. If your job dried up tomorrow, could you afford it? How many weeks could you live? Because if your affordability of something is based upon what you make, upon a paycheck that you're getting, and you can only last for a few weeks without that, you can't afford it. I teach this to the staff. We have a, a young staff at Life Church, and, and just we always have. And, 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 and so, and, and, and the reality is, is you need to have 90 to 180 days worth of operational capital. Cash is king. I don't care in any society, it's king in your world. So if something happens, you don't ever want to feel like you're backed into a corner and you don't have any options. You don't ever want to feel like you're at a place where you can't do what you feel like you want to do. That if God asks you to go do something, if he asks you to go, do you have the ability to go do that? And then the last 80%, you spend. That's the good news. And spend it. Spend it. On whatever it is that God's put in your heart, that's your resources. But if you'll practice that 10, 10, 80 in your life, 10%, first 10% belongs to the Lord, it's his. Next 10%, I'm going to pay myself. The last 80%, I'm going to live on that. You will live with margin in your financial life. All right, savings. I want to talk just for a minute to people that are, you're at a place where you're not up to your yin-yang in debt. And quite frankly, you have resources and you live what I would call pretty comfortable life. 
Paul began to speak to Timothy as a, as a, as a young pastor on how to lead and how to avoid failure, especially when it comes to your, your financial responsibilities. And there was a mentality that was happening at this point in time uh, where wealth and the appearance of wealth equal godliness. And, and Paul says there's more to this. Uh, and he gives him kind of these, these keys to freedom. I, I just want to read this passage, and then I've got a couple questions, and we're going to be done. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the equation. You want to have great gain in your life? Be godly. Follow the practices and the, and the principles of God's word. With contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Are you? It's a great question to ask yourself. Those who want to get rich, not who are rich, but want to get rich. That becomes the motivation, the ambition, and the desire. Fall into a temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So should getting rich be our aim and goal in life? No. No. Being rich, is that wrong? No. Acquiring wealth and having ability? No. But, but the, what's the motive? It goes back to the motive. Again, that's between you and the Lord. Verse 10. For the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. When you talk about money, this is probably one of the, one of the most misquoted passages. Because there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. Because the Bible says godliness with contentment is of great gain. There's nothing wrong with having things. The question is, do things have you? It's never as easy. Listen, if you're driving the beater in the parking lot... Or you pull up in the most expensive, I don't want to even name a car. In the parking lot, it doesn't really matter. The question is, do things have you? Because some of the most materialistic people I know are poor people. Because materialism is an obsession with what everybody else has. It's an obsession with things. Some of the most materialistic people are not wealthy people. They're poor people who continue to keep themselves in this cycle of debt over and over and over and over. Because materialism always begins where your income ends. Materialism always begins where your income ends. So the reality is, is the person that makes $50,000 a year looks at the person that makes $150,000 and goes, that's materialistic. And the person that makes one hundred fifty says, no, the guy that's making a half million. The guy that makes a half million goes, no, the guy that's a million plus. million plus guy says, no, it's a guy that's making a, a few hundred million a year. It's never where you live. It's never materialistic. It's always the interesting part. It's always the guy that's making the next thing up. And the reality is, none of that's true. Materialism is an obsession with things. That's why he says the issue is not if you're wealthy or if you're rich. It's this eager desire to be rich. It's this get-rich scheme. It's this thing in my heart. Why? Because that's what begins to control what I do. My motivation in my heart is not that I want to acquire things in order to be a resource and a conduit to God to bless. It's because I want to acquire things for me, and I want to insulate it for me, and I want to be at the top of the mountain for me, and I want to have control for me. And that's totally, that's why Paul starts the conversation with godliness, with contentment, because that control issue is something that you should have settled when you came into faith in Jesus Christ. You lost your rights. You lost your abilities. This is why I don't understand why people who are Christians who argue these issues about finances, I, I don't get this, who want to argue about tithing, who want to argue about giving, who don't have this approach of God, everything that I have is yours. I thank you for, I thank you for what you've given, and I'm just going to simply just submit it to you. No. The reality is, is I gave up my rights and my finances and that a long time ago. So when the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart about giving to someone else or ministering to a need or helping or whatever, that's what I do because he's the one that's blessed me. And I look at life 
and resources like, like a Krispy Kreme donut line. Does that surprise you? There's not one that everybody's got to fight over. There's more coming. God's a God of abundance. It's an issue of will I trust him? Will I trust him? Will I trust him? And so what happens is, is all of a sudden, if we get on the other side of this continuum, we have so much margin in our life financially that we literally don't do anything. We're paralyzed by those things because it's our wealth and the accumulation of our wealth. And you can rationalize that junk all day long. But Jesus talked about this. The guy who builds barns and bigger barns, it'll be acquired. It, it, his life was required of him that night. Why? Because he wasn't a control freak. He was about controlling it. And those of you that have, you have bank account over bank account, over annuity, over trust, and you layer yourself. Why? Can you take it with you? No. You think your kids are going to be responsible with it? No. Why do you do it? It's control. It's this desire to say, I'm going to be in control, and nobody else is going to control me. Questions. Am I content? These are personal questions. This isn't me asking. I'm just saying it's what the, what the text has. Am I really content with what I have? If I had nothing more, am I content? Another question. Do I believe that I will take nothing out of this world? Do I really believe that? That I brought nothing in and I can take nothing out? That's what the, what the passage says. Do I really believe the Bible? Because if I believe this stuff, I may act differently, don't you think? Just a thought. What will happen to all that I've amassed? Of everything that I've built, what will happen? I had this conversation with a couple that they don't live in this state. They don't attend Life Church. You don't know them at all. I've known them my entire life. Uh, very hardworking people very much in this continuum. Uh, she's never cashed a Social Security check in her life. She just puts everything in the bank. They're well up into their, to their years. They pay cash for every new Cadillac they get, every new what they get, pay cash for their lake home that, that's now their pr primary residence. Uh, beautiful place, beautiful, uh, beautiful place. Money is never an issue um, at all. And I was having dinner with them and uh, my mom was there, and, and uh, they were beginning to talk about things. I said, so what's going to happen when you pass away with all this? My mother looks at me like, you don't have, I said, I'm just asking. I just want to know. Like, we had this conversation about, you know, everybody's talking about their death. Have you ever get around people that get older, and they, this is, I got my barrel plot paid for, it's where I'm going to die. I'm like, I'm thinking, I don't even, talk. Tammy, do we even know, do we have, no, I don't, I don't know where they put me. All right, anyhow, so I don't really care. I'm gone at that point, right? So, so they're having this conversation. So it was just a natural. And, and I just asked, and they said, well, because they had a, a child, and the child had passed away, and there's grandchildren, and we're just going to leave it to the grandchildren. And they'd been talking the entire time about how, like, reckless, financially reckless the grandkids were and how they ran through money, and, and these people were just tightly conservative, just, well, we're just going to leave it. And I, do you think that's best? I mean, never even a thought about what if you set this up in a way that you bless the next generation. I get that. But you bless them in a way that empowers them but doesn't kill them because they're just going to run through this. What if you gave this to a mission? What if you took the proceeds from the selling of this estate and it went to Convoy of Hope or it went to a ministry that was going to feed and clothe and minister to kids that didn't have it? What if you did something that had eternal significance with it? Had another conversation with, 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 with some people a few weeks ago who had a net worth of, of a billion plus, 
and very well-to-do people, again, not in this state, and, um, and so um, not anybody's connected with Life Church. And, and they were having this conversation. And they've set their company up in such a way. It's a privately held company, very well-to-do company. They set their company up in such a, in such a way that, that, that the kids and the grandkids that want to work for the business can work for the business. But they only can make money if the company makes money. And if the company ever defaults or the company, everything's paid for. But if the company ever were to dissolve, all of the money is, goes to missions. All the money goes to ministry. None of the money can ever go to a family member or to an individual. And they've done that in a way, and I'm telling you, unreal amounts of money. But they've done that for one simple reason, because they never want it to be about money. Because the, 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 I talked I talk to, 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 the, to the dad and, 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 and the, 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 the leader of this company, and he said, when God gave us this, and he told me the journey, when God gave us this, he didn't give us this for us. He gave us this for the world in which the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to go out. And we feel like that our responsibility is, yes, we're blessed, but we're blessed to be a blessing. And so we're simply going to allow that to funnel through. And the last thing we want is for our kids or our grandkids to live life with greed or to become, we know what money can do to destroy people. So we've set it up in such a way that if you want to work for the company, you can make a living. If you don't work for the company, you don't get anything. And if the company dissolves, no one can come in and just take it, write it out, zero it out, and just, and just live the rest of their life in the Caribbean somewhere on some yacht. What will happen to all that I've amassed? It's great questions. Do I believe that the pursuit of riches can be a trap? Not riches, but the pursuit of riches can be a trap. It's what the passage says. What do you believe? Do I have wealth or does wealth have me? Last question. Why am I wealthy? And what does God expect from me? See, wherever you fall on this conversation of margin when it comes to money, there's a danger in not having enough, and there's a danger equally in having too much. What's the balance? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Your theology, your belief in God's word, your practice of his word, that's what he means, with fear and trembling. Ultimately, you know the truth. Because I preached it, no, because it's in God's word. So how you live that out is a personal issue. Will we stand before God and give an account? Yep. The same way I'm going to give an account for what I've said to you today, we're all going to give an account for the resources that we've been given and what we've done with those. It's called stewardship. We talk a lot about stewarding the world in which we live in, but do we steward the resources in which God's given us? Do we steward the opportunities in which he's given us? Do we steward these things in our life? Again, questions. Margin. Financial margin in our life. God's shown us how to do it. How do we flesh that out? We have to work that out.